Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Manufacturing Think Tank. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host of this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. If you are not confused by the U.S. and global economic outlooks, you're not paying attention because we have had so many contradictory cross currents, difficult times with economic forecasting, that I don't know anybody who, sh who cannot be confused in, in, in or out of the Federal Reserve. We've had inflation matching with very low unemployment. We've had rapidly rising interest rates that the economy, at least so far, has shrugged off. We have very patchwork um, global economic stories with a, a rising concern about China. That's clear. And I'm going to talk about it with today's distinguished guest, but also, you know, somewhat better performances in other parts of the world. Japan surprised us. Even Europe is slightly above the um, the terrible numbers that it was supposed to be. For manufacturing, there is no better economic forecaster than Dr. Chad Moultrie. And, you know, he's, he's no stranger to the show, no stranger to this network. For you folks at home, I'm a big believer that all the uh, all of my guests' bios should be read and read thoroughly. And I'm not going to even pretend to um, to memorize Chad's bio. So I am going to do a little reading because he has a very interesting background. He is, of course, the chief economist, as everybody knows for the National Association of Manufacturers, where he serves as the NEM's economic forecaster and spokesperson on economic issues. He frequently comments on current economic conditions for manufacturers through professional presentations and media interviews, as well, by the way, on social media, particularly on LinkedIn, and has appeared on various news outlets. In addition, he is the director of the Center for Manufacturing Research at the Manufacturing Institute, the workforce development and educational partner of the NAM, where he leads efforts to produce thought leadership, data, and analysis mm -hmm. of relevance to business leaders in the sector. Before joining NAM, uh, Dr. Motre was the chief economist and director of economic research for the Office of Advocacy at the U.S. Small Business Administration, where I got to know him, from uh, 2002 to 2010. In that role, he was responsible for researching the importance of entrepreneurship to the U.S. economy and highlighting various issues of importance to small business owners, policymakers, and academics. In addition to discussing economic and policy trends, his personal research focused on the importance of educational attainment to both self-employment and economic growth. And indeed, he's been very dedicated to, the, uh, to education. Before working at the SBA, Chad was the Dean of the School of Business Administration at Robert Morris College in Chicago, which is now part of uh, Roosevelt University. My father was from that area. Under his leadership, the business school had rapid growth of adding new programs and new campuses. He began the development of an MBA program that began accepting students after his departure and created a business institute for students uh, to work with local businesses on classroom projects and internships. He is the chair of the Conference of Business Economists, and he's a form, former board member of the National Association for Business Economics, where he is the co-chair of the Manufacturing Roundtable. He is also the former president and chairman of the National Economist Club, the local NAVE chapter for Washington, D.C. 
He holds a doctorate in economics for Southern Illinois University at Carbondale and bachelor's and master's degrees in economics from Eastern Illinois University. He is a certified business economist when he was part of the initial graduating class in 2015. And on a personal note, Chad encouraged me to go for um, the CBE uh, a number of years later. And it's, it's and I appreciate that. It turned out to be a good thing for me. In 2014, he received the Outstanding Graduate Alumni Award from EIU. And in 2015, he accepted the Alumnus Achievement Award from Land Lake College in Mattoon. It's Mattoon, right, Chad? Is that how you pronounce it's Matt, it? It's Mattoon. Mattoon, Illinois, where yep. he earned his associate degree in um, business administration. He serves on the External Economics Advisory Board for the, SI, for the SIUC School of Analytics, Finance, and Economics. Chad, welcome wow. back to the show. Wow, I've, uh, uh, that was not the abridged version of my of my bio. So thank you <laughs> for, for 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 reading that. And yes, we we've known each other since my SBA days. And so great great to be a part of your show again. Thank you. Listen, the latest data are showing. I, I'm obviously our big concern, at least for you know, in, in um, within America, is inflation. The latest yeah. data are showing that inflation um, is is easing up. Uh, we've we've had a reasonable. We're not there yet, but we've had a reasonably good trend with inflation. Do you think it's sustainable? Do you think that's going to continue? You know the 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 pricing data are are. You know, I, I think I liked your intro, Cliff, because because I, when, when when I give speeches, I say the economy is complicated, right? It's complicated right now. Certainly, the manufacturing sector, and and, and I think that the, the the inflation data are complicated too, right? I mean. The good news is uh, you're going to continue to see moderation of those year over year, those headline numbers for inflation. We've been seeing that all year long. And, and, and a large part of that, uh, I like to say, is math, right? Um, we're comparing this year to last year. And, and if you go back to last summer, we had all-time high levels of gas prices, right? So that that comparison is going to look pretty favorable. And that's, that's essentially what we're seeing play itself out in many of those year over year numbers. Uh, but the ch the challenge is isn't the, the year over year numbers it's it's the month over month and and you continue to see some sticky inflation, particularly for transportation services uh, and, and and rent which is getting a lot of attention. Uh, but even even you know more recently, uh, uh, I, I think as you move forward you're going to continue to see higher energy and food costs right which we we really have benefited from in the last couple months and so you're still seeing some sticky inflation that's out there. Not necessarily a measure of inflation, but also you continue to see pretty solid wage growth, right? And so, I think you know, from the Fed's perspective, um, uh, you know, they can't say mission accomplished, right? Uh, they still have a lot to do, right? Um, uh, overall, inflation is going to stay more elevated than they would like. I, you know, I don't see them getting to their goal of two percent at least until sometime in 2024, right? And so, in terms of core inflation. And so, you know, they, they, there could be another rate hike, right, uh, in the Fed's future, probably not at the September meeting, but uh, likely at the October 31st and November 1st meeting, uh, another 25 basis points. And then we'll find out whether they, they simply hit the pause button at that point. Um, uh, I think, fortunately, the markets have now uh, reacted to the fact, uh, the reality that uh, they're not going to be cutting rates anytime soon, <laughs> right? Um so I, I don't see them cutting rates at least until the you know, towards the end of 2024. And so you're going to continue to see pretty elevated levels of interest rates. You know, we saw just this, just today we got new, news that mortgage rates are the highest since 2002, right? So 
there clearly are going to be some impacts from that. But I think from the Fed's perspective, uh, that stickiness of inflation is going to be one that we'll be talking about for a while. Well, forecasters have leaned on history to to, uh, do their work for this, you know, this very tumultuous period. And in doing so, amidst uh, sharply rising uh, policy rates and and actually now market rates, uh, a lot of forecasters have predicted a recession that was supposed to happen by now. And at least for so far, at least for 2023, the recession calls were wrong. So let me ask you, what is your view of the probability of a recession late this year and into 2024? So it's definitely become the Godot recession, right? I think the Wall Street Journal labeled it that uh, a few months ago. And I and I, I like that phrase because we just continue to kick the can down the road of, of when we're going to have one. Uh, so I'll, first I'll say what, what our what our members say. At the, at, at the National Association of Manufacturers, we do an outlook survey. We actually have our third quarter survey in the field right now. Uh, and in June, uh, 57% of our members felt that we were going to have a recession at some point in the next year, right? So that was June. Right. Um, since then, obviously, there's been an up, a nice revision, I think an upward revision in terms of a lot of folks' sentiments about the economy. I actually have long felt that a soft landing was possible. In fact, if you've heard me speak at all in 2023, <laughs> you've heard me say that, that yes, a recession is, is probable, but so is a soft landing, right? And so... Uh, I think a lot will hinge on where the data go over the over the next few few months. Uh, it's possible that we could kind of skirt along the edges uh, as you move into the fourth quarter and the first quarter of next year, much like you know, Europe is doing. You mentioned Europe earlier, where they they aren't really growing uh, much, but they're but they're not uh, shrinking either. Uh, and uh, I think you know, so I I think I think that that yes, a recession if it's going to happen probably would be at the end of this year, beginning of next year. But it would be pretty mild, um, and I think it's equally likely uh, that a soft landing and that threading of the needle that we keep talking about uh, happens. Uh, and, and to the extent that that's happening, uh, I, uh, there, there's an enormous amount of resilience in the economy, right? Um, uh, the, the labor market's staying, you know, pretty much at full employment. Um, wage growth continues to be solid, and people are still spending. Um, and that might slow a little bit, which is why we might end up having. Uh, some slower growth at the end of this year. Uh, but for right now, that resilience is paying off and, and you're going to see really solid growth in the third quarter. Uh, but that could slow down as you move into the fourth quarter and first quarter of next year. What's interesting is that while the U.S. economy has thus far managed to avoid a recession in this period of relatively rapid Fed tightening, uh, the manufacturing uh, sector hasn't. The manufacturing hmm. sector has indeed had a slump. Yeah. Um, why the, why the dissonance? Well, why has manufacturing not escaped the slump, but the economy has? I like the word slump. Uh, thankfully, you didn't use the R word there. Uh, for those who read me on Twitter or LinkedIn that you mentioned earlier, you, I, I pretty regularly use the word that manufacturing is challenged right now. <laughs> uh, uh, at, at, at largely, you know, for the reasons we talked about a little bit earlier, and, and specifically to your question, though, uh, Keep in mind that, that much of that resilience that I've been speaking of, right, the consumer is still going out and buying things. But unfortunately, they're buying more services than goods, right? And so a, a large part of that resilience has been people going out and, and, and going on vacation and going to restaurants and bars and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. Uh, but uh, And certainly the manufacturing sector benefited pretty tremendously early on uh, in the pandemic. 
but you've seen a little bit of a shift from goods to services in the last year, and I think that's part of it. The other, the other elements, uh, uh, we've had this enormous supply chain challenges over the last couple of years. And, and, and if you go back to the end of 2022, uh, in my view, there was a lot of time shift shifting in terms of some of these resources. And so you saw a lot of excess inventories at the end of last year. Some of it, I think, quite frankly, many of our members, manufacturing members, uh, were keeping a lot of excess inventory just to hedge their bets, right? The last thing you want to do is not have an input that, uh, when you need it, and that sh- over, shuts down production. And so a lot of our members are, are keeping a little extra inventory on hand, and yet it kind of went beyond that. And so if you have a lot of excess inventory, their stockpiles are full, that obviously affects demand. Uh, and then I, I, I think the other big part of it, uh, it, it was implicit in your question, and that is that the global economy is seeing a slump, right? Um, we're seeing much weaker growth in, in China, right? Certainly than we were thinking we were going to get early in the year. And while Europe has largely avoided a recession, they are not, they are clearly in a slump, uh, a big time slump, uh, especially Germany and other, other markets. And so we've certainly seen demand, uh, of manufactured goods pull back. Um, and so, so I think that's a large part of it. Um, now I'm going to go beyond your question and tell you a, a little bit of a glass half full version of, of things, uh, because uh, I do not say that think that manufacturing is in a recession, despite the fact that they are challenged, right? Uh, and and it's not unheard of for me to go out and talk to manufacturing members who say, "What recession? I don't see a recession. I can't keep up with demand. I can't find workers." And that's especially true if you're in like some key industries that are in capital goods or infrastructure or some other semiconductors or things along those lines. But the other part of it is that manufacturing grew a lot over the last couple of years, right? And so I think it's important to step back a bit and take it all into perspective. And and the one thing that I hear a lot from our members is that, yes, things have slowed down. They're pulling back from where they were. But if you're going to pull back, at least you're pulling back from a really strong base. Uh, And and so uh, what I I like, I mean, we got new manufacturing production data yesterday. Uh, If you go back 15 months, manufacturing production was the best we'd seen since 2018, Capacity utilization was the best we'd seen in, in 22 years, right? And we've pulled back since then, but we've pulled back in aggregate 1.3%, right? That's not a recession to me, right? right? Now, clearly, there are pockets of manufacturing that are struggling. I know you're going to ask me about that. Uh, but I, I, I think it's important to kind of step back and say, at least we're pulling back from a strong base. And, and that's why I think the bottom has not fallen out, right? Uh, production is still elevated. It's not as great as it was. Uh, we still have almost 13 million workers in the sector. Again, it has not, the bottom hasn't fallen out there either. And so uh, I, I tend to be a little bit more positive about the sector than I think some of the, some folks in the press who would like to think that just because the ISM has been in less than 50 for eight or nine straight months that we're in a recession. What are the pockets of weakness? Specify that if you could. Yeah, so we're seeing uh, so, some weakness. Obviously, at, at, the, at the top end of the spectrum, you're seeing a lot of folks in the transportation equipment, uh, you know, uh, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, aerospace, motor vehicles, et cetera. But at the bottom, you know, quite frankly, furniture is not doing well right now, right? Um, you're seeing pretty significant declines, and you and you hear this if you're talking to folks in the in the furniture sector. Uh, we've seen uh, paper and and textiles in general uh, have tended to, to struggle a bit. Um, uh, more curious to me is we've seen a little bit of weakness in primary metals, um, especially given what I just said to you it was at the top of the list. Um, 
but but you know, so it, it's clearly a bit of a mixed bag. Um, plastics has also struggled a little bit uh, over over the last year. Uh, but in general, I think uh, the, the storyline is, 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 is pretty much a storyline of really strong growth on the aerospace, transportation, anything related to infrastructure, anything related to semiconductors uh, or, 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 or EVs or batteries. Coming to the global scene, I mean, there's lots of interesting things to talk about. But the most interesting, at least to me, is China. Yeah. Worries are really growing about the Chinese uh, economic outlook. Now that you can say you can go back five years and, and, and say that, but yeah. it, right now it, it's it's being pegged as being a um, a heck of a risk. And we're actually talking about. Can you imagine? We're actually talking in, in an inflationary world, a world that's been plagued by inflation. We're talking about deflation in China. Actually, having yeah. public. Um, what's your view of the China, the the short term Chinese uh, economy outlook and how is that going to affect the U.S. economy and U.S. manufacturing? Yeah. Uh, what, what a difference a few months makes. Uh, if you go back to the first quarter, uh, the storyline was really about all the optimism we were having about China for 2023 coming out of COVID and coming out of kind of the ridiculous zero COVID policies that they had in place last year. And, and you saw really strong re, uh, rebounds in activity in the first quarter, right? So it clearly was a reason for optimism that China was going to be this, provide this upside risk to the economy and to the outlook this year. Since then, <clears throat> things have stalled, <laughs> to put it mildly, right? Uh, you have uh, the consumer in China has not been coming out uh, like we were expecting. Uh, you've seen overall industrial production and fixed asset investment decelerate, growing, but, but decelerating. Uh, and I think it's going to be difficult for China to meet its goal of, of growing 5% year over year this year, right? So again, go back earlier this year, everyone was saying not only would they make 5%, it was going to be six or seven. Now, now it's more likely to be four and a half, right? And so, uh, still growing better than last year, but that's a pretty low bar, right? Um, and it, it's a sign that things have really turned around there. Uh, as you note, uh, they have had deflation, uh, in the last, in the last, uh, month, right? Uh, uh, and, and China clearly uh, senses a little bit of, of desperation here. You've seen them cut rates twice in the last three months. Uh, and I wouldn't be shocked if there's another stimulus package that they try to push through. Uh, the other big challenge is they're still having issues with debt. Uh, you're having uh, big issues with demographics over the next decade, right, which are going to continue to slow things down. Uh, and, and to the bigger question that, that you asked, uh, as goes China, so goes Asia, in my view, right? Um, weakness in China is really affecting much of the emerging markets in Asia. Um, and, and so we, we actually need a, a growing China. Uh, uh, and, and the fact that you're seeing weaker activity out of China uh, means that uh, we're seeing weaker global growth. And so that's certainly something that can pro provide a downside risk to our outlook, actually, in the U.S. The other kind of storyline, and, and, and actually today I put, we put out our global manufacturing update, so you can go see that on LinkedIn or Twitter. But uh, the graph really is a kind of an interesting one, and that is that imports, our imports from from China in the most recent data are down 25% relative yeah. to where they were in the first half of, of 2022, right? And so there's also this bigger kind of storyline as it relates to China, uh, because a lot of de-risking is happening, a lot of supply chain issues are happening. Uh, we'll find out whether that was just a blip or really that something was really happening. But there, there clearly is, is, is the ground has shifted a little bit as it relates to U.S. and, and, and China. And 
while China continues to be an important market, you've seen this China plus one de-risking that has kind of played into the market a little bit. And I think that's playing around with some of the data points. Outside of China and the broader East Asian um, region, any other parts of the uh, the global economy that we should at least be concerned with right now, really be concerned with? So we we, we painted the positive story of Europe earlier. <laughs> uh, so now I'm going to give the flip side of that. And, and that is that um, those PMI numbers for Europe are just abysmal, right? Um, so if you're, particularly for Germany and the Netherlands and other, other pockets of the economy. Uh, you know, Europe, Europe is going to continue to have this cloud over it until we can end the war in the Ukraine, right? Until we can find some solution to that, right? Uh, and from a longer term perspective, um, they have serious energy challenges, right? Uh, um, largely caused from that war. But moving forward, uh, how are they gonna address their energy needs, right? And and how does that affect their overall competitiveness, right? And so uh, in the short term here, uh, yes, Europe has so far avoided a recession, which is good, but I mean, they're growing, 0.3 percent, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and and on the good side, you're still seeing quite a bit of weakness, right? Uh, uh, and they have some pretty significant energy challenges that they're going to have to address long term uh, to stay competitive. And so, uh, again, you, you got to look at Europe right now as the other big weakness that's out there. So when I'm looking at the global economy, I'm looking at weaknesses in China and Europe. Uh, and the U.S. actually comes out looking pretty good in that storyline. Um relative to, to those markets, but that's certainly something that, that uh, we, we need to focus on. Since the end of the pandemic, through the pandemic, since the end of the pandemic, back here at home, we've had a lot of drama in the labor market, quiet quitting and four or five other uh, uh, things. Labor market upheavals have been a, a, a you know a, a big dynamic in the post-pandemic U.S. economy. Um, how is the manufacturing sector's labor market changed, if at all, in the yeah. past few years? Well, the number one issue for manufacturers, and I, I speak to manufacturers all the time, uh, but it's also true in our survey, the number one issue is attracting and retaining workers, right? Um, and it's not unique to manufacturing. I'll, uh, everyone is complaining about not having workers. Uh, but uh, this, is, this is one of the bigger challenges, right? So we'll start there. Uh, we have full employment right now, 3.5% unemployment, uh, we have 582,000 job openings in manufacturing right now, right? Uh, and that's obviously cool from where it was. We had over a million, you know, this time last year. Uh, so that's cooled a little bit, but still pretty elevated. Uh, and, and, you know, demographics is not our friend, right? I mean, I, I, I think, uh, not to the extent that, that it is in China or, or Germany or Japan, but it's still not our friend, right? We know that a lot of baby boomers are going to retire. We're going to, they've already, you know, we, many of them already have. Uh, we know that birth rates are not what they should be, right? We're, Americans are having fewer babies. And so uh, moving forward, we know that there's going to continue to be structural issues in the labor market, right, that we're going to have to deal with. The other challenge from, from a manufacturing and, and overall labor market perspective is that manufacturing continues to evolve and change and, and become much more high tech, right? Uh, and so we're competing in many ways with sectors we didn't think we were competing against, right? Uh, go back to, to what's happened really since the pandemic. Uh, you know, overall wage growth has been really solid in manufacturing, right? The average worker in manufacturing today makes $26.5 on the production side. That's national, obviously lots of variation by region and by occupation, 
still a pretty great number. The challenge for manufacturers is that other sectors have also seen really rapid wage growth, right? And so that difference between what manufacturers pay and everyone else pays has narrowed. Uh, uh, and uh, the competition for talent, particularly entry-level talent, is fierce, right? Um, so we, we, we're competing with what, what I like to say are non-traditional players for talent, right? And we're competing with the service sector in ways that I don't think we ever thought we competed against them before, right? Um, and so that continues to push up wages. Um, it continues to mean that the labor market not only is tight, but uh, you've had quite a bit of turnover. Uh, and, you know, uh, and so, you know, this, is, this has become a, a big challenge. Uh, and manufacturers, what I have, what I have often told folks uh, is, We've got to find different ways of differentiating ourselves and, and making the case why manufacturing, right? And, and, and many of our members are doing that. Um, certainly, they're looking at, at, at overall culture. They're looking at flexibility. They're looking at ways that, that, you know, manufacturers make a difference, right? There are ways that you can sell it. Uh, and I think many of our members are doing that uh, as much as they can uh, with, with kind of an acknowledgement that flexibility, while it's certainly something that is ideal, it's a lot harder to do on the shop floor than it is for uh, your typical office worker, but they're trying to find ways to do that uh, to the extent that they can. And, and the other element there is that we've got to continue to widen the net, right? We've got to continue to attract more women into manufacturing. Uh, more, uh, we have certainly programs to encourage more military veterans to go into manufacturing and, and just more diversity in general to be able to attract more folks into the manufacturing ecosystem. Final question for Chad Motre. Chad, I can't let you go without asking about AI um, and whether or not you think it is or, or will be a game changer in some way for manufacturing. It is going to be a game changer. Um, I'm not uh, a scaremonger about AI, though. I, 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 much like a lot of other disruptive technologies, you know, there's all these fears out there about AI taking your job away, <laughs> right? Um and in many ways, it might change many jobs, and, and, and it might mean that, that your particular role might shift, right? But when I talk to manufacturers, uh, no one is really laying anyone off because of technology. Now, a technology might change a role, but that, that simply means that maybe you're doing something else in the factory, and they're going to upskill you and train you to do something else. And so I, I think of AI the way I think of uh, you know, Internet of Things or robotics or any of the other disruptive technologies that are out there and that it's going to change the way that manufacturers do things, right? It's going to change the way we innovate. It's going to change the way we operate. Um, it's going to make quality go up because we can hopefully track things through machine learning in, in real time and be able to reduce errors, right? So there's a lot of things that I think are going to be good about AI, Um uh, that are going to help make manufacturing much more competitive, uh, much more efficient, uh, and certainly improve us as, 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 as an economy and as, 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 a, as a sector. Uh, but it's also going to change the workforce. It's going to change the type of worker we need, right? It's gonna, it, it certainly means you need, can need to continue to have a much more trained and upskilled worker workforce. And so that's kind of how I see it. Um, I've used AI. I'm sure you have, a Cliff. I'm, I'm sure you've used ChatGPT. I I, will, I have to admit that one of the surveys that's in the field right now, I use ChatGPT to help write that question, right? So uh, certainly it helps us become a little bit more productive, even as economists. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that that uh, the same is true on the manufacturing side. I think we're going to find creative and innovative ways to use it. Um, and it's going to change manufacturing. It's going to change the entire economy in ways that we probably can't envision right now. 
but I think that that's for the good and 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 not for the bad, at least at least in in my current thinking of it. Chad Motre, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise. As always, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Cliff. We'll have to do it again soon. And we will. And for uh, uh, you know our audience today, uh, all of this, the themes that Dr. Motre touched on today are going to be subjects of shows. We are still in a remarkably tumultuous time, not only for the uh, the outlook, and that's that you know the the the, the challenges of the outlook are going to remain with us, I believe, uh, for some time. But for technology, we 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 will be we had a show on AI. We'll be talking more of AI. We, I want to talk. Excuse me. I want to talk more about quantum computing. I think that can have some interesting implications for manufacturing. Until next time, this is Cliff Waldman saying. We look forward to seeing you at the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.